When I was preparing for today's dars and reviewing this chapter in Riyadh al-Salihin, which is a compilation of Sahih by Imam al-Nawi Initially, my niya was like how I did in Ramadan and Itikaf was to just give you a selection of the hadith so that over time you would get to see as many topics as possible. But after going through the chapter, I felt that no. And actually, every single hadith, obviously every hadith of Nabiya Kareem sallallahu is important. But I felt the combined effect in creating that message of fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that takes place when it goes through all these hadith, I didn't feel it is in my right or my domain to try to dilute or dampen that effect in any way. So, because I made that decision, I don't think we will actually be able to do all those chapters that we initially mentioned to you tonight, but inshallah we will continue this on next Thursday as well. The second thing that happened was that, you know, for many times in my life, whenever I've thought about fear and hope, hope and rajah, so it's been understood in our deen that a person should have both. And I always felt that both meant, and the ulama had discussed this a lot, that does both mean the median of the two, or does both mean both? And I always felt that both means both, that a person should have pure fear in Allah SWT and pure hope in Allah SWT. And my understanding was that a person should always have both. However, after going through this intense compilation of Imam al-Nawir, I realized that no, sometimes a person should feel only fear. And that's what happens when you read these ayat and hadith one after the other. And that's a good thing for sometimes a person to only purely, exclusively feel fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And a similar thing happens, inshallah, maybe next week you will see, when a person reads or listens to those ayat of Quran or hadith and the movie about Allah's mercy, that it's true that a person will be so hopeful and so hopeful that they feel pure hope. At the time of listening to that ayat and hadith, they may not feel fear of Allah's However, generally in their life and generally in their heart, they should have both feelings. Third thing that occurred to me, it says Sayyidina Rasulullah never said all these hadith all together the way we're going to present them to you together. And perhaps one reason why the Prophet didn't need to do that was because even when he said a single one of them, the Sahaba Quran were so fearful of Allah's fault that a single hadith would be enough to shake them. But later in time, probably the Muhammadin realized that when we teach hadith to the people, that single hadith doesn't seem to have the same effect. And listening to one hadith would be enough to bring the Sahaba Ikram to a feeling of fear. 
And now we need to tell people three, five, seven, ten, fifteen, twenty, make a whole bab, or make a whole kitab, to make a whole chapter, or a whole book, or a whole treatise on this topic. But Alhamdulillah, his selection of ayat, and those of you who are new to this text, Imam al he first begins every chapter, almost every chapter, with some ayat Qur'ani on that topic, to sort of set up the hadith that come. And then you have a number of ayat and a number of hadith on this topic of fear. And no doubt by the end of it, the cumulative effect on a person is really to have pure fear in Allah inshaAllah. The fourth thing I reflected upon is that uh, the reality is that fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most noble trait that I mentioned at the start Allah Ta'ala says in Quran that the most honored of you in Allah Ta'ala's regard are the ones who have the most taqwa that's a very interesting thing today a lot of people like to privilege certain aspects of the Islamic text over others and it's a very widespread thing in this day and age to be overly conscious of being in the 21st century, to be overly conscious of being in a modern scientific world and society, and therefore privilege the teachings of maslah. In fact, there's a whole field of the Sul fiqh called maqasid. And ilm al-maqasid was actually made by a few people to privilege the notion of maslah means what's a social benefit, what's the public good. But if you look in the Quran and you look in the Sunnah, there are certain, there's a long list of attributes that Allah SWT and Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu mentioned. And then if you want to ask this question of Allah SWT through the Qur'an, and ask this question to the Prophet Sallallahu through his Sunnah, that what are the attributes should be privileged? What has tajir? What has ahmiyyah? What is more important? You will find taqwa. Atba. Atba. The person who has the most taqwa. And whenever you have this term in Arabic, this isn't the deal. It means that Allah Ta'ala and Himself are privileging this. This will always be a privileged characteristic. Then, I've lost track of the fifth or sixth thing that occurred to me, is that how important it was and how little fear of Allah SWT we have. And although it's the most, most single, most privileged attribute is the most lacking attribute even amongst the speakers and preachers of today. And especially amongst the common masses. Everybody loves Allah SWT. Everybody who is, you know, from your background, educated people, has a compassion for the poor, concern for the ummah, love for humanity even. Hmm? But the feeling of fear of Allah SWT is very lacking, almost non-existent in the hearts of people. Then a thought occurred to me that the most hypocritical thing, Allah but I would at least apply it to myself, the greatest nifaq would be to talk about fear of Allah SWT without fear. That has to be the greatest nifaq. A person can talk about compassion for the poor, maybe they don't do anything for the poor, but maybe it's not so hypocritical. Maybe they can give a workshop on how to be a good husband. They may not be the best husband themselves. But to talk about the fear of Allah SWT when you don't really fear Allah SWT, that could be the greatest nifaq, the greatest hypocrisy. 
course, when that thought occurred to me, then it occurred to me that I should better change the topic. And there are many nicer, more soft chapters one can do uh, from Riyadh al-Salim. Just to show you how pathetic my own condition is, uh, today, actually, I broke wudu out of the fear of Allah subhanahu And what does this mean? That this is a person sitting in front of you who's tahammul and zarf to have real fear of Allah subhanahu so little that when a little bit of fear came into me, I actually broke wudu. Literally, physically broke wudu. Right? Because this uh, is a very heavy topic. A very heavy topic. But it's the greatest thing of the time. And so then, after dropping all of my ways of teaching it, I decided the easiest way is just to do nakal. And to make me of that, that I'm just doing nakal for myself and for all of you, in exactly the same ayat and hadith, in exactly the same sequence that Imam al-Nawirimullah compiled, I will recite them and share them with you in exactly the same manner. But it did make me, and this is the last thing I will say by way of introduction, it did make me imagine that what it would have been like to have learned this from him. Because when I told you it's not something new that people are doing today, in his time and even earlier to him, both Mufassirin and Muhaddithin in general, people of Dawah and Nasiha were giving topical presentations on different topics of day. And to have been an Imam Manawirah didn't just write this book, compile this book, he taught this. He did Dars of Riyadh Salihin for years. And there were, Allah knows how many thousands of people who actually had that great fortune to sit in front of him and go through these ayat and hadith together. Right? So we can only make dua that Allah SWT give us tawfiq and fuzzle to replicate something of that tonight. Now beginning with the ayat, Bab al-Khawf, this is the chapter on khawf, on fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are different words that Allah Ta'ala has used in Qur'an for this. The two most predominant ones are khawf and khashiyah. Khawf is more intense. And that's why Imam al-Nawid ibn Ta'ala chose to title his chapter using the Arabic word khawf. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan al-rajim, bismillah ar-Rahman al-Rahim. Wa'iyyaya farhaboon. Wa'iyyaya farhaboon. And Allah Ta'ala says in Qur'an, Wa'iyyaya farhaboon, that you should fear me alone. Fear me alone. And here, the Arabic grammatical structure of this sentence is what we call hasr. It means that you should fear only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Feel only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? Now what does that mean? And sometimes we are afraid. We are afraid of losing job. A person is afraid of losing their friends. A person is afraid of failure. But all of that pales in comparison to the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This also means fear of losing Allah SWT, fear of betraying Allah SWT. But as Imam Nurimatullah rebuilt it up, it's fear of Allah SWT's punishment. And that's why Allah SWT has these attributes. And it's a very interesting thing, Allah SWT does not have his punishing self. Zu intiqab is one of his asma'al husna. He doesn't have zu intiqab because he has any intrinsic ghazab or ghaiz or anger towards people. He has that attribute of wrath and vengeance so that people would fear him more. So that people would be more fearful of him. And this is something that Allah SWT talks about in many ayat. Next ayat. In the Batsha Rabbika, the Shadeed. That Allah SWT said in the Quran that indeed literally Batsha means the grasp. 
But it doesn't mean the physical grasp, it means that Allah Taala's reckoning. And when his punishment overwhelms a person, his punishment will come on a person shadeed, severe. And that can be in this world, and it can also be in the Day of Judgment. And it's also obviously referring to the fire of Jannah. Just like Allah Ta'ala talks about how immense his mercy is, how intense his mercy is. Similarly, Allah Ta'ala talks about how immense and intense his punishment is. Then in a longer ayah of Quran, وَكَذَلَكَ أَخْذُ رَبَّكَ إِذَا أَخَذَ الْقُرَى وَهِيَ الظَّالِمَةً And thus is the reckoning and taking to task and grasping in the might of this punishment of your Rabb when he chooses to call to task a village, a community when they were zalim, when they were oppressing and wrongdoing and unjust. إِنَّ أَخْذَهُ أَلِيمٌ شَدِيمٌ and indeed, Allah Taala's reckoning is alim, is extremely pain-inflicting. Extremely pain-inflicting, shadeed, extremely intense. Inna fi ayah. And indeed, in that, in Allah Ta'ala's mention of His painful and intense punishment, and, and actually Allah Ta'ala's punishing members of humanity is a sign. A sign for ibrat, a sign for learning for who? For that person who fears the punishment in the akhir. So when they fear being humiliated by Allah on the day of judgment, they will then shiver when they see how Allah can humiliate a person in this world. When they fear being punished by Allah in the akhirah, then they will truly take ibrah and take heed if they see Allah punishes someone in this world. And if they don't have that fear of akhirah, these things will happen in front of them and they will take no ibrah, they will take no they will learn no lesson, they will take no heed from it. This will be the day when all of humanity would be gathered all together in front of Allah and this will be the day that all of them will witness and will be present. And Allah says, we have not delayed this day of judgment except for a particular set, limited, appointed time. It is definitely going to happen. The feeling Allah is trying to instill is like a time clock. Like a time clock. Like a ticking time clock. The day of judgment has been set and the clock is ticking. Almost like if you saw a bomb and there was a time run. And you know that there's nothing that's going to delay this explosion other than the time running out. Just like that, the day of judgment is like an explosion. Al-Sfanta uses that simile also elsewhere in Quran. And it's a rupture, it's a rendering. Alright? And nothing, and it will only be delayed for a particular time period. This will be the day when humanity will be brought and no person will be able even to speak ex- except with the idhan and the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then from all of those people, فَمِنْ هُمْ شَقِيٌّ وَسَعِيدٌ From the people there will be some who are shaqi. Shaqi means those who will be depraved, who will be from the downfallen on the Day of Judgment. And Sa'id means those who will be happy and blissful, who will be successful on the Day of Judgment. It means it's going to be a day of absolutes, black and white, absolute failure, in Jahannam, with absolute pain and absolute punishment. Or a person will be Sa'id, absolutely successful, absolute triumph, absolute joy and felicity. So either they'll be entirely wretched, or they'll be entirely blessed. فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ شَقُوا 
And as far as those who are going to be wretched and abased, فَفِي النَّارِ لَهُمْ فِيهَا زَفِيرٌ وَشَهِيرٌ لَهُمْ فِيهَا زَفِيرٌ وَشَهِيرٌ And they will be uh, dragged, they will be in the fire of Jahannam, and they will be screaming and shouting, or you can say they will be wailing and crying. And that's the expression of the punishment and the sadness that they will feel. Now, why is Imam Nurul bringing these ayat? Again, we're trying to understand why Sayyidina Rasulullah in the coming hadith is going to talk about fearing Allah SWT. Because Allah Ta'ala has mentioned it in the Quran, this wrathful, intense punishment and reckoning that will take place on the day of judgment. But next ayah, Allah Kabira. So one is Allah Ta'ala scaring us of the day of judgment, many ayat. Then one is Allah Ta'ala scaring us of Jahannam, many ayat. But now listen to this next ayah. وَيُحَذِّرُكُمُ اللَّهُ نَفْسَهُ Allah Ta'ala warns you about His own self. His own self. Even more scary than Jahannam, more scary than Yom Al-Qiyamah, is the prospect of facing the Almighty Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala warns you about His own self. وَيُحَذِّرُكُمُ اللَّهُ نَفْسَهُ وَيُحَذِّرُكُمُ اللَّهُ نَفْسَهُ This ayah is showing the might and splendor, the ro'ob and azmat and kibriyai of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Then the next ayah Imam Anawi brings, which is an often recited ayah by the Imams in the Masjid, and all of you, many of you would have often heard it. يَوْمَ يُفِرُّ الْمَرْءُ مِنْ This day will be the day that due to their absolute fear pandemonium, will be the state of the heart of a person. First they will flee from their brother. Now this was most telling who for Sahaba come because for Sahaba there was nobody dear to them than their fellow Sahabi. To rephrase, this is the day that Abu Bakr will free from Umar. This is the day that Uthman will free from Ali. So this was, people don't understand because second is coming mother. People think everything is about that one hadith that paradise lies at the feet of the mother. But for Sahaba Ikram, the dearest, most intimate relationship, like we mentioned to you in the in Saturday, in the Mu'minin, oh ikhwa. Then Allah says, indeed, the believers are brethren to each other. So Allah is saying, you're even going to flee from each other. And it also means they're literal sibling. They're blood sibling, but first and foremost, they're imani, dini sibling. Wa ummihi wa abi. And they will flee from their mother and their father. Normally a person, when there's something frightful, like a child, if they're frightened like a child, they run to their parents. They will be frightened. Humanity will be frightened like a small child is frightened. But they'll be so overwhelmed by that fright, they won't be even able to remember their own parents. <clears throat> now, sahiba means wife, but you can generally say spouse, right? And from their spouse and their offspring. Literally, it is translated as wife and sons. But sometimes in Arabic language, uh, how would you say, one gender is used as a placeholder. So wife means spouse and sons means offspring. I'm not telling you that just to be politically correct. I'm telling you that because actually the loha of Quran is a universal message. And the Arabic language is designed like that. But because the balagha, the rhetoric and the beauty of Quran requires that it should be very precise and it won't have these one-on sentences. So Allah will design Arabic language in such a way that one word is a placeholder for the whole column. Alright? So the person will fear from their parents, first their 
Imani brethren, their other brethren, their parents, their spouse, and their children. That for each and every person on that day, Sha'an. Now Sha'an is something otherwise referred to the majesty of Allah Sponta. Means there's such a tremendous thing going on with them on the day of judgment. It's a Sha'an. It's such an immense, tremendous thing that is happening to them, their own individual reckoning with Allah SWT. Yughnihi will make that person ghani of all of their relationships. It will make that person completely independent and mindless of all their worldly relations. It's their relationship with Allah SWT on that day. That's also the meaning of this ayah. That on that day will all be about a person's relationship with Allah SWT and there will be no other relationship that they can remember on that day. Then the next Imam Anawrimullah quotes, Ya yuhun nasut taku rabbakum inna zanzalata sa'ati shaytun adheem that oh people you should fear your Rabb. Fear that being who nurtured you and took care of you from the moment you were born. Because indeed the literally is the earthquake of the hour which is again that rupturing. That's what it means here is that time and space will both be ruptured. Time, space, creation, any and everything that all the physicists and biologists and chemists in the world have ever studied, all of it, space, matter, time, energy, all of it will be ruptured entirely. Violently. Zanzala means violently, radically, aggressively, aggressively. It's a shaykhun adheem, it will be a tremendous thing. Now, if at that moment there was any woman who was wet nursing a child, suckling a child, at that moment she will stop that act of wet nursing. Alright? And if there's any woman who's pregnant at that moment, the shock of that rupture and the end of time, the rupture of everything she knew and the end of time will make her out of that shock give birth to that baby. This is something mean you can't even understand. This is something a doctor or maybe a mother or a woman who's gone through this could understand what this would mean. It's such a tremendous incident. This is for those who are not passed away. This is for those who will be alive on earth, still alive when Allah chooses to end the world and all creation. And then, after that, what's that? nas and suqara. وَمَا هُمْ it will appear that humanity is in an inebriated state, in walking around in a stupor, in a drunken state, literally, in intoxication. But Allah says they're not intoxicated, means not intoxicated due to any intoxicant, due to any substance. Rather, what is it? It's that the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and here you could even translate as the prospect of the punishment, the possibility of the punishment. The reality of Allah Ta'ala's punishing and vengeful capability is shadeed, is intensely severe and based upon them. Then Imam Nawiri quotes another And for that person who fears, that person who fears standing in front of their Rabb on the Day of Judgment, he will have two jannas. And this can mean literally, uh, whatever Jannah they would have, it would be doubled. It can also mean, uh, interestingly, 
you know, if you were clever, you would ask the question, does it mean the person who doesn't fear gets one jannah? Huh? One's good enough for me, right? Hmm? It does open up that possibility, and Ulam of Tasir talked about this, that when the person doesn't have khuf. So actually, the answer that they gave to this was not about khuf of Allah's fault, it's fear of this day. These are all discrete fears, and when you aggregate them all, to combine them all together, it's just one big feeling of fear in the heart. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made this a layered fear. Fear of Allah ta'ala himself. Fear of Allah ta'ala's punishment. Fear of standing in front of him on the day of judgment. Fear of day of judgment itself. Fear of Allah ta'ala's punishment in the fire of judgment. Fear of your book of deeds being opened. There's so many different types of fear. So many different. So this is a particular type of fear. But it means is that Due to their fear, it's actually from the taqwa. Right? That person who fears standing in front of their rub, they stop their nafs from desire, unlawful desires. So when they do that, they get double reward. So what happens is that these are the people of taqwa. These are the people of taqwa. So they get the mercy of Allah and forgiveness. And they get the reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala due to their taqwa. They get jannatan, they get dumb. And then the last ayah that Imam al-Nawir ta'ala uh, places before, then he will then begin the ba'ah by mentioning different hadith. وَأَقْبَلَ بَعْضُهُمْ عَلَى So, in the, on the day of judgment, people will be facing one another. So after there is a time when they forget one another, then comes a time when they actually face, you can even say, in some sense, confront one another. And they will each be questioning one another. And what will they say? And prior to this coming to the day of judgment, we were mushfiq. Mushfiq is another word that comes in ground for a particular, particular fear of Allah a humbling fear, a soft fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we were back in the dunya with our families and our settlements, we had this soft fear for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was kind and generous and kind and gracious to us. And so Allah Ta'ala was kind and gracious to us and He saved us from the punishment and this is now another thing that comes, this is this notion of the scorching wind which is some final thing that will come, one of the final things that will happen in this world, a blazing, hot, scorching wind will come, alright? And, uh, and also before this, we used to make dua to Him. We have to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most gentle, the most gentle and kind and soft, and Ar-Rahim, He is the most merciful. Right? So this is their feeling of sugar. Right? And their hope that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved them, and had their ihsan on them on this, in this life, then Allah ta'ala will have it again. And they take solace. It's a very important thing. They take comfort because they used to make dua to Allah SWT. Inna kunna min qablu nadu'u. 
This is the importance of dua. It's also Allah Ta'ala training us. This is response to fear. Fear is not to cripple a person. The fear is not to cripple a person or then they become, they have apathy, they have interaction. No, fear is to motivate them to make dua. And then on that team, just they will take comfort in that. But we used to make dua to for exactly for this moment. We used to make dua to precisely for this day. So many of our du'as, Allah Ta'ala, save us from your punishment, save us from fire to him. So many of our lifetime of du'as, Allah Ta'ala, send your mercy to us on the day of judgment. Again, look how much me and you were lacking in this. How many of us can say we make those du'as? How many of us can say we're building up a store of du'as like that, so that when we stand on the day of judgment, we can also take comfort in this, that before this, before this we used to make du'as. Important thing. Okay, now we're getting the hadith of Nabiya Kareem Sallam, gathered by Imam and Nawir The first hadith is narrated by Sayyidina Abdullah bin Masood, who, that Sayyidina Rasulullah said. And the style that Sayyidina Abdullah bin Masood went to, he narrates this, uh, that he was a sadiq, he was the being of pure truth, al-masduq, and everything he said turned out to be true and to be verified. Alright? Another way you can say this, who was sadiq al-masduq, is that he was the ultimate being of truth, and masduq, that Allah Ta'ala informed him of the truth. So this would be a way that Sayyidina Abdullah bin Masood is trying to trace the son of this hadith back to Allah SWT. Because Allah Ta'ala said in Quran that Sayyidina Rasulullah does not speak of his own accord. He only speaks from a wahi that Allah Ta'ala reveals to him. And that applies to the hadith as well. Alright? The difference between hadith and Quran, just so you know, is that the Quran is wahi, lafzan and ma'na. And Allah Ta'ala reveals the meaning and the particular choice of words to express that meaning both to the Prophet that's called Qur'an. Hadith means that Allah Ta'ala reveals the meaning, but Allah Ta'ala does not reveal the expression, the words. And Sayyidina Rasul on his own expresses that meaning. That itself is also a very interesting act of Nabuwa. And this is something Allah Ta'ala tasks the Prophets with. That you will receive meanings and it will be your job to educate. You will be mu'allim to do ta'lim, tarbiyah. It will be your job to capture and couch and explain those divinely revealed meanings in the words of the people. And this is why Sayyidina Rasulullah did that repeatedly. And sometimes he explained those meanings using slightly different words. And that's not in any way an indication in of itself. In of itself is not indication. That there's any weakness in that hadith, because Sayyidina would express the same meaning in the same hadith using slightly different variants of words. Just like any teacher will not exactly repeat the same lecture. Right? Even if we teach a course multiple times, and we have even the exact same meaning we want to convey to you, but a word for word we may not use the exact same sentences, but the meaning will be the same that is conveyed. Fair, that was just a small point of saying Abdullah bin Masood Rathamus. Words. So the hadith of Sayyidina Rasulullah that the creation of each and every one of you remains in the womb of their mother for forty days. 
in the form of an actual Arabic word here. I don't know which translation you have, but the Arabic word is nutfa. Nutfa would be what today we would call uh, fertilized ovum. Alright? Uh, so for 40 days, it is merely just a fertilized, when the sperm and the egg meet, and that is a fertilized ovum, for 40 days it stays like that. Right now, this is, uh, that's a separate topic for separate speakers, because I know the scientists, that people talk a lot about, about the embryology in the Quran and the Hadith. <laughs> then it becomes an alaka. Now the notion is here, somehow, basically, the key is a sense of growth. So for 40 days it's a fertilized ovum and then there's a sense of growth and people translate all these different types of ways and there's congealed blood, you could say nascent embryo, right? It goes from fertilized ovum to nascent embryo. Summa yukunu mozga. Mozga is the sense that you have formation of limbs, flesh and muscle. There is now some shape, uh, visible anatomical features of the human embryo. Alright, so these are the three sets of 40 days, and then you have basically a total of 120 days. Then Allah Ta'ala uh, sends an angel. Alright, uh, and then when the angel is sent, the angel the angel comes and infuses that anatomically now human embryo with its ruh with the soul and spirit of that human being. Alright. And then, And then, that angel uh, is commanded by Allah SWT with four kalimat, this means four sentences, but with four matters pertaining to that human being. Number one is the appointing of the risk of that human being. The risk means sustenance, nourishment, earning of that person. Wajadahi and then the time period of that human being. and the actions of that period. Washaqiyun al Sa'id and will that human being be wretched or blessed? And what will be their outcome of the day of judgment? This part of the hadith is not actually why Mamunawdama has brought this hadith in Babu Khof. Those of you who dwell on this part, we have a whole separate lecture on free will and predestination, but that is not the topic for right now. Alright. But I will just mention this to you, that obviously Allah Ta'ala knows everything. Let's just put it that way. One response to the whole free will predestination paradox would be that, okay, would your solution rather be this, that Allah Ta'ala does not know your future? That that is against our understanding of Allah Ta'ala as a being was al-alim, was all-knowing. Would it, would it be a solution for you to say, Allah Ta'ala does not know whether I'm going to Jannah or Jahannam? How could you say something like that about Allah Ta'ala? That he does not know. Obviously, Allah SWT knows these things, and it's Allah Ta'ala's, it's entirely, it's entirely within Allah Ta'ala's domain if he wishes to share that knowledge with the angel who is sent to blow the ruh into that anatomical human embryo at 120 days. Alright? Uh, In the name of in the being, that there is no God except for that being, and he took custom in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, this is the following words of why Imam Manawdha chose to open his Babu Khawf with this. What? Inna ahadakum la ya'malu bi'amala ahlil jannah. 
And indeed, there will be one of you who practices the practices of the people of Dana, who lives a life according to the life that would be led by a person who would end up in Dana. So much that there is between him and that Jannah one dira. Dira is arm length. Dira is from the tips of your finger to your elbow. That's one dira. Some people have one cubit, one arm length, one yard. Means he's that close to Jannah. He's lived a life and a lifestyle to the amal that will lead to Jannah such that he becomes so close to becoming a person of Jannah. And then what happens is that his destiny, kitab here means what that angel knew that he would be Sha'i or Sa'ib. So in this case is that angel knew that he would be Sha'i and he ends up encountering, could say his destiny encounters him and overwhelms him. And then what does he do? He does a deed of the people of the fire of Jahannam. He does one act. One act like that. And what does it mean? One act this is the fear. That a lifetime of good can be erased by one act. If Allah Ta'ala chooses to reckon a person for that act. Now, it's not necessary that this happens to everybody. Otherwise, obviously, every one of us has one sin, if not many, many more, right? This is not a kulliya that any one sin that you have will eradicate any and all good deeds that you do. But there will be some people like that. And other hadith of Nabiya Kareem, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which doesn't bring in this bab, suggests that this will be more prevalent towards the end of time. More prevalent in times of fitan, in fitness. So that a person was doing the A'mal of Jannah and they did one act. One act. Alright? But on the other hand, similarly, uh, that there will, be, there will be a person, one of you, and, and here obviously the Prophet is talking to the whole Ummah, that one of you will do the acts of the people who will end up as denizens of the fire of Jannah, such that between you and Jannah there will be one dera, one arm length, and then that person's destiny, which was to be Sa'id, to be from the Blessed, will overwhelm him or overcome him, such that he actually does one act of the people of Jannah, and then he will enter into Jannah by consequence of that act. Alright? But again, it's that middle, it's the first aspect of this that Imam al is bringing to instill the fear inside a person. Alright? And that is that basically you never know which sin that might be. And if a person actually thought about every sin, that this could be that amal. This could be that amal that was talked about this state. This could be that amal that actually enters me into the fire of Jannah. Therefore, I better not do it. And basically, that is also the Tony Mahamadurita setting by bringing the city first. The purpose, the entire and sole and important purpose. A fear of Allah Ta'ala is to stop a person from sinful deeds. That's the purpose of fear. It's not a feeling in of itself. It's a feeling for this reason. For this reason. Right? Then, Imam al-Nawi, secondly, that he brings, 
Again, on the narration, narrator uh, is Abdullah bin Mas'ud, Mabir Anhu. And Sayyidina Rasulullah, he said, that on their judgment, Jahannam, uh, yeah, the fire of hell, will be brought with 70,000 rains, the gama, and each rain will be held by 70,000 angels. This is to show the enormity of, uh, uh, of, the, of hellfire. Now, this hadith can and should and must be taken literally also. And it can simultaneously also be taken figuratively. And it's just mentioning the immense size of the fire generally. Right? Now, what does this mean to bring the fire? This is all in the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, if you were to do 70,000 times 70,000, I can't remember, maybe it's like 4.9 billion or something. Huh? Billion or million? Forty-nine million. Forty-nine million angels. So this itself, this hadith gives us knowledge that there's hundreds of millions of angels, right? Or maybe billions of angels. Forty-nine million angels on that day will be tasked with presenting Jahannam to the people on the day of judgment. Now, what you have here basically is two sets of you have a whole other hadith that talk about Jahannam being presented, Jahannam being brought. Then you have hadith that talk about the person being cast into Jahannam, the person being taught into Jahannam. So it's all, it's like a mutual two-way encounter, which is more intense. One is for you to fall in the fire, one is for far, fire to fall on you, one is for you to fall into the fire while, while the fire is falling upon you. So this is the intensity of it, the, the immense Size of it requires 70,000 rains, and the raging inferno aspect of it, that to even keep in control one part over 70,000 of Jannah, it requires the strength of 70,000 angels, because the fire is so eager, the flames of that fire is so eager to leap out and consume those people standing there on the Day of Judgment who are shabi. This second hadith is then talking about the fear of the punishment of the fire of Jahannam. And you have to understand this is something Allah SWT Quran and Sayyidina Rasulullah do repeatedly. Give us vivid graphic descriptions of Jahannam. Vivid graphic descriptions to instill even more fear in the heart of a person. The next hadith is on the authority of An-Naman ibn Bashir that he narrates that Sayyidina Rasulullah said that the person who will be dispensed with the lightest punishment amongst the people who go to Jahannam. So what's the lightest punishment? So we should also understand that there are levels. It's like there's Darajat in Jannah. There will be some people who go to Jannah straight without ever having to go into Jannah. There will be second category of people who go to Jahannam for some time and eventually are taken out and go to Jannah. And there will be a third category of people who go to Jahannam never to exit from it. Three types of people. So from that second category of people, those who will enter the fire of Jahannam and be taken out, what's the shortest period? What's the lightest punishment? This is the hadith of Nabiya Karim Sallallahu on this topic. The person who will be meted out the lightest punishment amongst the people of Jahannam will be the one who have two embers, so not even a flame, not even the fire, 
two things that were fuel for the fire. Like in the Talmud, in the Quran, that the embers were fuel, fuel or what you say, or the ingen or inden, the things that give, that are burnt, is either hijara, rocks, and that's coming also later, hijara, rocks, or nas, or people. Right? Here would be two of the pebbles, I would say. Two of the small, tiny pebbles that were used as fuel for the five jandam, they will be taken out and they will be placed under the soles of that person's feet. And the heat from them will be such that they will cause his brain to melt. It causes his brain to melt and boil. And at that moment, that person will not consider anyone that they are suffering more than him even though he had actually been given the lightest punishment of all. There's the slightest punishment. So this hadith, Nabi Yaqeneem sallallahu alayhi wa to realize, because that sometimes people think like that, that okay, they might be misled, that okay, if I have to go to Jannah, at least eventually I'll go to Jannah because of my Imam. So a person should have few no, I don't want to go that route. A person will say, okay, you just have a few sins, you might only go to Jannah for a short period of time. Person just said, no, I'm still too afraid of that. So, okay, fine, you will only go to Jahannam for a fraction of a second. Person said, I'm still too afraid of that. I'm still so afraid, even of the slightest fraction of a second, that I just can't do that sin. I just can't do that sin. What? There is a longer discussion in Sila about, uh, I just mentioned the two what we call Zindan, about the destiny of Sayyidina Abu Talib was the uncle of Sayyidina Rasulullah I mention this because 99% of you hopefully will not know these things, but it's one of the foul conditions of modernity that people who use their akal, they like to talk about this as well. That will Abu Talib uh, be considered a believer on the Day of Judgment? Did he really actually accept Iman and say, Rasulullah Sallallahu or did he not? So there's another hadith uh, that is narrated by Imam Muslim in which Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu actually explicitly mentioned that society that the lightest punishment of Jahannam will be given to say now Abu Talib So when you join these two hadith together, this hadith, and this is also in the Sahih Muslim as well as the Sahih Bukhari, the one I read up to you. So that means that Sayyidina Abu Talib will be also given this punishment. Right? Uh, and that will be it for whatever mm, Allah, Allah knows best, right? Um, but then right after that, uh, right after this momentary uh, fraction of a moment, where these two embers are placed on the soles of the feet and the brains boiled, and immediately after that, he will be admitted entry into Jannah. Alright? Uh, another aspect of this hadith was that at that moment, a person won't view it to be light. So the word is that it is the lightest punishment. But at that moment, it's a khaf, but he will feel like it's a shad. He will feel like it's the most severe punishment. The next hadith is narrated by Samarat ibn al-Jindab that Sayyidina Rasulullah said that the fire nar, the fire jannah, will cover people up, some up to their ankles, some up to their knees, 
some up to their hips and others up to their collarbones. Now this was interesting to me, uh, because you would think it would keep going. It stops at the collarbone. Why? Because the most intense punishment in the fire of Jahannam will still allow the person to be able to wail and cry and scream and shriek. And that would happen if the fire went all the way up to the tip of their head. So the maximum depth will be up to the collarbone. All right. And, as any one of us can understand, you know, being up just to the ankles or just to the knees, that doesn't provide any consolation for anybody. And no one would want to be in it in the slightest of ways. So these two hadiths taken together are giving the whole spectrum. Under the soles of the feet, up to ankles, up to knees, up to hips slash waist, and up to the collarbone. Alright? However, when you look at the hadith before, if merely placing for a single moment two embers was enough to make the blood boil and melt, then surely that person who is ankle deep or knee deep or waist deep, their blood will also be, their brain would be perpetually boiled and melted. Alright? This then brings another hadith, which is not in this box because that's more hadith specifically about Jannam. Uh, which is one of the sifat, the attributes of the fire jannam, is that Allah Subhanahu will regrow that person's flesh constantly, continually, flesh, sinew, tendon, bone, ligament, etc., only so that it can be burned again. So the person will be burned and then recreated, and burned and recreated, and this will be instant and infinite. Infinite for the person who dwells there forever, and it will be instant and repeated for the person who. Uh, ultimately gets taken Then, on the Day of Judgment, what will happen? So the next Sayyidina, that the people will be standing, the in front of Allah, the Lord of all of the worlds, in such a way, that they will be submerged in their own sweat and perspiration up to half of their ears. Half of their ears. So they're sweating so much, and their sweat will be gathered in them. And their sweat will also be extremely hot on that day of judgment. And here, this hadith is Aam, Yukum Nas. Obviously, there will be some people who will take directly to the shade of the throne, and there are other hadith that give different exceptions. But an ordinary person, even a person who may go straight to Jannah, will be sweating and perspiring so much on the Day of Judgment. And Allah SWT will gather this sweat around them like a sea. We might be thinking, right, in our fluid thermodynamics that the water will go away. No, Allah Ta'ala, He can part the Red Sea for Nabi Musa Islam, and Allah Ta'ala can gather water together. Allah Ta'ala will gather up that person, will be like in a column, or like a cell, or a shower of their own sweat and perspiration. Now, the ulama mentioned that this perspiration can be due to two things. One is due to the fear of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, and the second is due to the heat that physical heat that will be on the Day of Judgment. The physical heat on the Day of Judgment. 
And the next day, after by Sayyidina Abbas ibn Malik ibn Al-Talib and Sayyidina Rasulullah once addressed the Sahaba Ikram in a khutbah, in a religious discourse, an address. And he said to them, لَا تَعْلَمُونَ مَا أَعْلَمُ If only you knew, were you to know, that all that I know, لَذَهِكْتُمْ قَدِيلًا وَلَبَكَيْتُمْ كَثِيرًا That you would laugh less you would laugh less and you would cry more. You would laugh less and you would cry more. And then, uh, Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik then continues narrating the incident, فَغَبْتَ أَصْحَابُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَجُوهَهُمْ وَلَوْهُمْ خَنِينَ And then, he says that on hearing this, that when the Sahaba Kalaam heard this, they started weeping profusely. They started weeping profusely. Now what does this mean? It doesn't mean that they were laughing at this moment when the Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was talking to them. They were sitting listening to his khutbah, his wa'ad, his discourse. But when he told them, right, that there are things that he knows that are so serious, that would make a person so somber, that they would not laugh. They would laugh less and they would cry more. So all of them covered their faces and they began weeping. They covered their faces and began weeping profusely. And in another hadith, which has some additional words, uh, is that Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu addressed the Sahaba, and before he said this sentence, he first said the following sentence, that Jahannam and Jan- Jannah and Jahannam were presented in front of me, and I've never ever seen a day like this day. If only you knew what I know, you would laugh the tilt and you would cry much. So if you take that second narration, this was the day when Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was uh, endowed by Allah Subhanahu with the vision and knowledge of Jannah and Jahannam. Right? And this also reminds us that Jannah and Jahannam pre-exist. They are things that were created what is known as Alam Amr by the commandment of Allah Subhanahu he simply created, he didn't design, there was no gradual process, unlike the human being, which is 40 days, the fertilized ovum, then 40 days, the embryo, then 40 days, anatomical structure, and etc., etc., all of the stages of human development. Jahannam was created in a, less than that even. Just Qur'an for Yaqur, Allah Ta'ala willed it to exist, and it existed in, with all of its sifat, with all of its levels, with all of its blazing infernals, with all of its features, with all of its punishments. And the same thing for Jannah, that Allah Ta'ala willed it to be simply by His command, and it came into existence with all of its darajat, with all of its uh, bounties and blessings and wonders. Uh, these are things from the, created from the command and the power of Allah Subhanahu Wa Next indeed, this is from Al-Maqdar that he says that I heard Sayyidina Rasulullah saying that on the day of judgment the sun will be brought close to the creation until it will be one meal away from them. The one meal can mean mile, Sayyidina al he himself elaborates this, that meal can mean mile, which is distance, and meal is also referred to that small stick that is dipped into kohol and used to apply on a person's eyelash, alright? So that's this much of a distance, right? So meal can mean this much if it's referring to that poker stick that is used to poke inside the bottle and apply kohol, 
or meal can be one land uh, distance, which is known as one mile. Right? And then Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu then elaborated on that the people will be submerged in sweat perspiration according to their deeds. Some will be submerged up to their ankles, other up to their knees, other up to their hips, and they will be those whose mouths are cleansed due to the perspiration of sweat. Means they will be choking or gargling or gurgling on their own sweat. Alright? Now, interestingly, right now, the sun, according to astronomy, is whatever, it was like a hundred million miles, almost 193 million miles, if I remember, almost a hundred million miles away from the earth. Safe distance. And on day of judgment, Allah will resurrect the sun, because the sun will also be folded up when the hour will come. And Allah will bring that sun of the earth that close back to the people on that day. Alright? So again, this is in that uh, section of Hadith, which is about the Fear of the day of judgment. All right. The next hadith is uh, almost near, near identical, very similar. On the day of judgment, people will sweat and perspire to such an extent that their perspiration will seep into the ground as deep as seventy liras, seventy arms lengths, and it will be raised as much as it will drown them until it uh, drown or suffocate them until it reaches their ears. All right. Uh, this shows uh, how much there will be sweating that will seep into the ground. So, next to these names, I said, Abu Hurairah radiallahu that we were with the Bihakrim, when he suddenly heard the sound of something falling, he asked us, Do you know what that was? We replied, and this was the standard uh, way of the Sahaba Kramabad, Allahu wa Rasuluhu a'lamu, that Allah Ta'ala and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the best. So then Sayyidina Rasul responded, Hada hajnum rumiya bihi finnar That this is a stone, a rock, a boulder that was cast into the fire of Jahannam mundu sab'ina from 70 years ago. And it continued falling into the fire of Jahannam and has now reached the bottom, resulting in the sound that you just heard. This is something that Allah Taala sometimes opens up either a perception, sight perception, or oral perception of something that's otherwise unseen. This is called ghayb. And this was done what we call juzi. Allah Taala would open up at different times for different reasons some particular aspect of the unseen. And sometimes Allah Taala would open that up only to say, Rasulullah and sometimes that opening would also be for the Sahaba Kram who were present at that moment with Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu So in this case, Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu and the Sahaba Kram all heard this loud. And we can, I, Allah Alam, you can even just think on this earth, if there was any big boulder that fell a distance that took, you could work that out in physics, I think you could, distance with gravity. So how long it would take based on gravity, how far distance that boulder would travel for 70 years. And then what would be the decibels of the impact, it depends on the size of the boulder and the whatever density of the rock, when it hit the ground. But you can imagine it would be what we would simply call an earth-shattering sound. It would be an extremely loud sound. And Allah Allah chose to unveil that sound. Now what is this? This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stoking the fires of Jahannam. 
he has since past time immemorial been stoking the fires of jahannam in preparation for those who will be ashabullah and so once this is uh, something that the beginning some of some misamkram they heard right uh, and this is you know you can consider this a mujiza uh, in fact this can also be listed amongst the mujizat of the beginning some of the some because anything that happens miraculously means only purely to the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and khilaf ada contrary to the norm is known as a mujiza then in the next hadith, narrated by Adi ibn Hatim Badi Latul Naras, it says, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Okay. Ma minkum min ahadin illa sayyukallimuhu rabbuhu laysa bainuhu wa bainuhu tarjuman. That there is not a single one of you that Allah Ta'ala will speak to you on the Day of Judgment in such a way that there will not be between you and between Him, Tarjman. There will not be any interpreter, translator, any mediator between you and Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. You will look towards your right and you will not be able to see anything except that which preceded you, preceded you, means your deeds that you had, uh, sent forth, he means your life. And you will look to your left, and again, you will not be able to say anything except for the deeds that you had sent forward. Which means you will look in front of you. You will not see anything except the fire of Jahannam. That it is directly facing you. You will feel that its wajh is towards you, that it is facing me. Fattakunnara wala bishakkan sama. You should fear the fire of Jahannam, even if it is with a portion of a day. Even if you can just give a little bit of charity, even that would be enough to stave off the fire of Jahannam, that you can seek salvation from the fire of Jahannam, even by indulging in small amounts of charity, small amounts of kunti. Right? Here again, this is a very intense statement, that a person will, this is what Allah SWT, وَيُحَذِّرْكُمُ اللَّهُ warns you about facing his own self. And this will be something that happens to a person. And like I told you, it's very intense, and there's still a lot more, right? Uh, but I'm going to finish it for you. Then you get the complete experience, right? And next week we will do the same thing. We will give you the complete, inshallah ta'ala, babu raja or bab on hope in Allah ta'ala's mercy, right? <coughs> next to this is another by Sayyidina Abu Dhar al-Ghafari radiallahu ta'ala anhu that he narrates that Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, inni ara ma la tarawm. That indeed I am able to perceive that which you cannot. I am able to perceive that which you cannot. And what did the Prophet say? It's, a it's something that he was able to perceive. The sky groans and it has every right to groan. Or you could even say the sky wails and it has every right to be groan. The sky groans and it has every right to groan. 
There is not an empty space of even four fingers' width without an angel placing his forehead in sujood, in, in prostration before Allah subhanahu wa Then the Mayyam Salaam swore by Allah Ta'ala, if only, if you only you knew what I knew, you would laugh little in Quran much. You would not take any delight from women in beds, and you would go onto the paths and streets seeking the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what does this mean? Number one is that the sky is filled with angels who perform righteous actions, who are performing sujood. Imam Shafir based on this hadith, he took the thinking position, because this was also something that the Fuqah had a discussion about, that what is Abdul As-Sama Al-Ard? What is Abzul the sky or the earth? So because of this he said the sky is Abzul because the sky has the sujood of the Malaika and the earth has the sujood of Insan. Right? So there's so many angels in the skies who are doing sajda. Interesting, because some of you might know that the Judeo-Christian concept of heaven is that it is in the clouds. Right? Our concept of heaven is heaven something that entirely transcends the entire physical universe. It's not on the clouds, it's not on the atmosphere, it's not on the solar system, it's not on the Milky Way galaxy. It's not on the entire created realm of nature and energy. It's something beyond that. It's a different realm of Allah. Hence he referred to himself as Quran al-Rabbul Alameen, it's a different Allah, it's a different world altogether, a different realm of existence. But Allah has sent the angels down to worship him as, as they worship him around his arsh, they also worship him on the sky of this very planet Earth. Right. So this planet Earth is blessed in that sense. Uh, and so the angels, and there's so many, the sky is filled with the angels that there's no space for, I mean, that's hardly anything, four fingers width, uh, except uh, that the angels are uh, making sajda to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? Actually, it's a narrative by Sayyidina Abu Barza radiallahu ta'ala. That Sayyidina Rasulullah said that a person's face, a person's feet will not move. The two feet of a person will not be able to move from their place on the day of judgment. Until they're asked about their life, the life that was an amana that they lived, and how you can tell they spent it, but what were they fana'in in their life? How did they, what did they drown their life? What did they dwell upon? What was the crux and the ultimate purpose of their life? Number one. Number two, and number two, based on their knowledge. And how they practiced upon that knowledge. And number four, وَعَنْ بَعْدِهِ مِنْ أَيْنَكْ تَسَبُهُ And the first thing asked about their wealth will be from whence did they earn it? وَفِي مَنْ خُبَهُ And how did they spend it? So their earning, their spend, their life, their knowledge, their practice of it, their earning and their spending. Five things that they will be asked way before they can even move. Number six, وَعَنْ جِسْمِهِ and on their body, and how they tired their body out, or how they exerted their body. And what did they exert their body such that they got tired? For example, every day at night we feel tired before we go to sleep, so we must have done something in the day. 
how did we exert our physical self such that we were tired? And then again, Allah Ta'ala gave us energy. And then again, how did we exert our energy? Alright? So this was actually related to the risk. Where did you earn? How did you spend the money? And the money that you didn't spend, it means you consumed it for your own nourishment. How did you spend that energy? How did you spend the energy that you got from your risk? Alright? So the next hadith narrated by Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu. So there are one, two, three, four. Four hadith left. Final four hadith in this bab, of course. Sayyidina Abu Hurairah Sayyidina Rasulullah recited the ayah of Quran. Again, often recited because it's in the 30th Jews. This is that day on which the earth and the pieces of land on which a person lived and committed acts, good deeds, or otherwise. Tuhadithu akhbaraha will do hadith, will narrate, will narrate all of its news about everything that happened upon it. So Sayyidina Rasulullah recited that verse. And then Sayyidina Rasulullah addressing the Sahaba that he asked, that, Do you know what that is? Attadurna ma akhbaraha, do you understand what that is? So the Sahaba said, as I told you, they say, Allahu wa Rasulu alam, that Allah Ta'ala and His Messenger know best. So Nabi Karim said that the akhbar, the khabar, the news that the earth will give, is, it will be that antashkhala ala kulli abdin, awamatin. It will bear witness on every male or female slave and bondsman, bondswoman of Allah Ta'ala, bima amila ala dhafriha about what that person did on its back, literally, means what that person did on that earth. Every single, your bedroom, in your house, and the land, that property, hmm? and people are so attached to their property, and they love their property, little do they know that this very same property is going to testify against them to Allah Ta'ala on the Day of Judgment, and tell that person everything they did, the dorm room, the bedroom, every piece of land upon which any person did anything, that piece of land itself will bear witness to look out, this is what this person did upon me. And it will say uh, to that person uh, that you committed such and such accident on such and such day, and Nabi Karim Sassam, that is its khabar, that is the news that it will give. Alright? And so the notion here is also that even the earth feels fear of Allah SWT. Even the earth will feel fearful of Allah Ta'ala when a person does sin upon it. It will testify to Allah Ta'ala about that person. Then the next hadith, narrated by Sayyidina uh, Abu Sayyid al-Khudri radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa that how can I be happy or enjoy or be pleased in about life? Wasahib al-Qarni. That that Sahibul Qarn is that particular angel who is the Sahib of the Zaman, means the angel who, angel Ishrafir basically, Al-Islam who is going to blow the horn uh, to signal the end of time. And that he has already placed it on his mouth. Right? Now what does this mean? This is the sense of the imminence of the day of judgment. Because to me and you, we think of something really that's going to take a place a long time in the future, right? And that might be true. And a person could even argue on the basis of hadith that there's so many alamat of Yom al that still haven't come, and therefore it's far off. But you're supposed to 
feel as if it's imminent. I'll give you an example to pick on the students, right? If you get a really hardcore, studious student, right, then they prepare for their exams significantly in advance. So the best example of this that you probably have in this country is the medical students who prepare for the U.S. MLEs. So I said, oh, looks like my U.S. MLEs such as they come in. It's four months from now. I say, no, four months from now, come in some time. It's four months from now. They said, no, I couldn't come because my U.S. MLEs are coming up. So he used the word coming up, a sense of imminence for something that's going to take place as far as I'm concerned, by far away from now. Why? Because of the fear of failing that exam. Because of the ahmiyyah, the enormity of that exam. So even though it's coming later, he feels it now. He feels it now. That's what a person is supposed to feel about the day of death. It's coming later, but I feel it now. It's going to come later, but I feel it now. So this is what Sayyidina Rasulullah, he told us this time, he felt this is a sunnah. This is a sunnah feeling, to feel the imminence. Because you know, there's no delay. The second meaning is, that when Israfil has the horn, there's no delay. There's not going to be any mm, preparation time given. There's not going to be any warning, warning horn. There's not going to be any snooze button. Hmm? He would just blow in the horn and then it will all be over. Alright? And he has uh, turned his ear in order to listen to the hukam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is turning his ear, listening intently that when will Allah give me the command? So he's in anticipation of the command to blow. And when and then uh, Sayyidina Abu Sayyid al Khudr narrates about what effect this happened on the Sahaba. And this weighed heavily. The statement of Nabi Akrim weighed heavily on the hearts of his companions, And then, when Sayyidina Rasul saw that, when he saw the effect it had on his companions, so then the Blessed Messenger addressed them and he said, and look, all you have to do is say, It's take solace from these words, take solace from the zikr, and remember that Allah Ta'ala is sufficient for us and He is the best of wakil. What does it mean here? That Allah Ta'ala will be the wakil of the muttaqeen against the fire judgment. Allah Ta'ala will be the wakil of the muttaqeen against the trauma and trials of the judgment that will take place on the blowing of the horn. Hasbunallahu wa ni'mal wakil. Hasbunallahu wa ni'mal wakil. So it shows also that Sayyidina Rasulullah did not leave them in that state of fear. He always channeled that fear. Right? Uh, and again, again we'll talk about this on Thursday, next Thursday in child, but he channels that fear towards hope. Because this sentence, this dhikr is to bring a person hope. And now, second to last, second to last day. Sayyidina Rasulullah said, that person who fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala departs in the first portion of the night. And one who departs in the first portion of the night reaches his destination. Know that 
the commodity of Allah SWT is expensive and the commodity of Allah SWT means what Allah SWT is offering that which Allah SWT is offering has a steep price and what Allah SWT is offering is nothing other than Jannah so what is the first thing? the first thing is Sayyidina Rasulullah SAW is using the metaphor of traveling and basically if you have to on other indeed the Prophet said that he strongly preferred that people travel in the day and not travel in the night but if a person travels in the night, if he leaves early in the night, he will reach his destination by morning. Right? So what the person is saying, what is early in the night means in youth. That if you adopt fear in your youth, early on, then you will be able to travel and journey successfully and reach the destination of Taqwa. And if you delay it, like if you delay your journey to the middle of the night, to the last portion of the night, then you won't reach your destination in time. Right. And then the second part was that simply that Jannah uh, is costly uh, and uh, it means it requires, it takes a lot of uh, fear of Allah SWT and a lot of A'mal Saleh for the sake of Allah SWT. Wa'ala Allah Ta'ala Sarva inna Allah Shifara minu mu'mineena al-Qusahum wa'amwalahum bi'anna lahumul Jannah. Right? So it can be a means of costly that Allah Ta'ala purchased from the believers, their own selves, and all that they own and possess in exchange for Jannah. Right? So it's a price you pay that you give up yourself, and you give up your possessions. You give up yourself means you give up all of your wishes, desires, dreams, personalities, preferences, if they conflict with the will and wish of Allah Subhanahu And you perfectly hold on to all of your dreams and wishes and personalities that are not in any way against the commandment and will of Allah Subhanahu and the last date that Imam al-Nawir brought in Bab al-Khawf, narrated by Ummu Mu'bideen Sayyida Aisha radiallahu as she narrates that she heard Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Yuhshan al-Nasu yom al-Qiyamah, that the people will be all gathered on the day of judgment in such a state that they are number one barefooted, urad, and they will be uh, unclothed, Ghurda, <coughs> and they will be uncircumcised. Right? So she asked, Ya Rasulullah sallallahu so that there will be men and women together, and then some will be looking at one another. This matter of being raised in the name of Jesus will be ashad, will be more severe, will be more intense, will be so serious that they will be too serious for them to be concerned with that. Right? Now what does that mean? That it will be a day that a person forgets any such desires. Right? And with the hadith is an ashara, and this is why I told you Imam Nabi's purpose was that khawf is to change amal. Because when you feel the feeling of Fear, it grips you so much that you're unable to feel these desires anymore. And that's what the Bihakrim Sallallahu was saying. That they won't be able to have this desire to look at one another. Why? Because they'll be gripped by the fear of Allah Subhanahu And that's the nature of fear. Again, The person who's gripped by fear will no longer be able to feel that will act upon their unlawful desires. But they have to be gripped by that fear. They have to be overwhelmed by that fear. And that's where a lot of us lack. Right? 
just one last thing about the deep, but the deep is to be, it has always been understood in the Islamic tradition to be literal, and it literally means, and the, the notion of that is like how Allah Ta'ala says that we will raise you up as we created you, awwala barra. So baby is also, uh, awwala barra, baby is, again, the barefoot, unclothed, and uncircumcised. So you'll be stripped to your bare humanity. You will be stripped to your bare essence. Um, but a person will feel that fear of Allah SWT. Obviously there are more, many more ahadith of Nabi Akbim on this topic. But Imam al-Nawir in his wisdom as a great muhaddith and alim deen felt that this selection sufficed and it was his husnizam about people like me and you that this selection of ayat and ahadith would suffice to instill the feeling of fear in our hearts to be made dua to Allah SWT that May Allah accept us the Zanib Imam and Nawir Mu'tala and make indeed these selection of ayat to Quran here and ahadith and Nabawiyah sufficient to instill that true gripping fear of Allah in our heart. And inshallah next Thursday then we will do Babur Bajah, which is the chapter on hope. After that there's a third chapter on combining fear and hope, but I did that in Ramadan. I actually did that chapter on combining fear and hope for you in Ramadan. all the acts that we've done. We have we've earned the fire in Jahannam. We have so many sins, Ya Rabbi, that you could pick from any one of them to be a means to means to seize us with your punishment, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Rabbi, we ask that you instill our hearts with fear, increase our hearts with fear. Ya Rabbi, we have so many other fears in our heart. Remove the false fear of love. Grant us the true fear of Allah. Make us fearful of the day of judgment. Make us fearful of its punishment. Make us fearful of its heat. Make us fearful of the mizan. Make us fearful of the grave. Make us fearful of you, Ya Rabbi Make us fearful of being disappointing to you. Make us fearful of being disloyal to you. Make us fearful of being untrue to you. Make us fearful of being deprived of your nearness if we are in Jahannam. Jahannam, that is the true fear, Ya Allah. That Jahannam is hot and Jahannam is everything. But Jahannam is bathed from you, and Jannah is grieved to your arsh, just like in this world, you selected us for this ummah, you made us mu'mineen, you made us muslimin, you brought us kareev to Quran, kareev to sunnah, we ask that you grant us tawfiq to live a life, that in akhirah again we will be kareev to you, kareev to Nabiya Kareem, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, kareev to all sahabi kiram, radiyallahu ta'ala, anum ajma'in, kareev to these muhassireen, muhaddisin, fuqaha, usuleen, awliyai, sadiqeen, ya Allah, ya Rabbi Kareem, that you grant us amal, grant us tawfiq to do amal, grant us ikhlas in our amal, grant us ishtikamat in our amal. In the beginning, we ask that you rescue us from our sin, take us out from our sin. In the beginning, let the fear overwhelm us and protect us from unlawful desire, protect us from unlawful feeling. In the beginning, we ask that you give us tawfiq to laugh less and to cry more. We ask that you give us tawfiq to learn our deen, learn your kalam, learn the kalam of your beloved Nabi Akrim, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
Olympiques, there are so many youth here going on, but it is the possibility for them, they can begin this journey in the early portion of their night. They came knowing that this would be the topic, they came seeking your fear. Surely, when you grant the secret of your love, your love, surely you will grant the secret of your fear, your fear, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Make us from the Khaifin, make us from the Khashi'in, Ya Rabbi Kareem, make us from the Mushrikeen. Increase us in every aspect of fear, every angle of fear, every tenor of fear, every tone of fear. And Ya Rabbi Kareem, put in our heart of fear of sin, put in our heart of fear of Rafla, put in our heart of fear of disobedience, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Allah protect us from the fire of Jahannam, protect us from the punishment of Jahannam, protect us from the flames of Jahannam, protect us from the embers and fuels of Jahannam, protect us from Yadab, even the gaze of Jahannam, protect us Yadab, from the proximity of Jahannam, and Yadab grant us in this world and in our grave the cool breeze from Jannah, the tender breeze from Jannah, the favorite breeze from Jannah, give us tawfiq to walk on this earth, Yadab, the paths that lead to Jannah, the way of life that leads to Jannah, Yadab, Allahumma inna nas'aluka minka jannatul firdaus wa na'udhu bika minal nar Allahumma ajinna minal nar Allahumma ajinna minal nar Allahumma ajinna minal nar Ya Kareem, Ya Mufar Ya Rabbi Kareem We make dua for all of our friends and family all of our near and dear ones for all of the Ummah, Ya Rabbi Kareem If there's any, even one person in this Ummah who is walking the path of fire Ya Rabbi Kareem, rescue them, Ya Rabbi guide them, Ya Rabbi Uplift them, Ya Rabb. Here we make dua for all of Anas, all of Insan. Here we can send your hidayah on them. Your Alhadi, Ya Rabb. Guide all of their hearts, Ya Rabb. Guide them to the root of Iman. Guide them to the root of Taqsam. Guide them to the root of Taqwa. Guide them to the root of Hayah. Here we can give them the gift of your hidayah. As you have given so many millions hidayah in the past. Ya Rabbi Kareem, give tawfiq, Ya Rabbi. Raise the deen again. Raise it from the West. Raise it from the East. Raise it in the young, raise it in the old. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we make dua for the elderly, Ya Rabbi. Those who are coming close to their grave, and still they have no fear of you. Ya Rabbi Kareem, and still fear in their hearts. Let them remember their grave. Let them feel the imminence of their death. Let them feel the imminence of Yom Al-Qiyamah. Give them tawfiq to make tawfiq, Ya Rabbi Kareem, before you take their soul, Ya Allah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you accept all the duas and all the hearts of the people, all the duas and all the tongues of the people, all of our heartfelt wishes, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Rabbana takamal minna innaka anta sameeul aleem. Utubu alayna innaka anta tawabul raheem. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahimin.